Hello and welcome to season two of Can I Get a Picture? I'm your host, Soul Lovemore. Join me as I get to pick the brains of some extraordinary people hearing their struggles and successes that have shaped who they are today. Today we're speaking to Adam Peaty, MBE, the 2016 Olympic champion, an eight-time world champion, a 12-time European champion, three-time Commonwealth champion, and the most successful British swimmer in a single world championship. He has broken the world record 13 times and currently holds three world records. He's still only 25 years old. I hope you enjoy our conversation on resilience, dedication, and mindset. Adam is a decorated athlete with the drive and determination to achieve more. He will certainly become one of the greats of our time. Welcome, Adam. Thank you very much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. I mean, just doing the research and reading about everything you've achieved at such a young age is scary. Even I think, Jesus Christ, what was I doing at that age? So first and foremost, congrats. And like, you're definitely an inspiration to have achieved all of that. And you've still got, you know, years and years ahead of you. But yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, when you kind of put all the records and all the medals, it feels like I'm a 40-year-old. But, um, you know, I've, I've managed to achieve what I have because, you know, the kind of all the different various factors that an athlete has. And I think it's so important for athletes to kind of recognise those factors, such as your upbringing, your family. You know, for me, I was the youngest of four, uh, so I was always competitive. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, we've always played Monopoly, and if we're losing, if I was losing, I'd wipe the board. I was that competitive. And then, but it's, I mean... <laughs> For me, it's getting the balance right. Because I remember growing up and I was almost kind of a jealous person that, you know, why have they got that when I don't have that? Or, you know, why can they have that kind of nice, you know, the parents can have that nice house or nice car or whatever. So I was, you've really got to, you know, kind of learn more about yourself as you get older. And, you know, as I get 25 and I've had my first son, you know, it, it's just getting better. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, it's funny you touched on having siblings as well. I think that does really help in terms of that competitive edge. I mean, I've got two sisters, so I can't really say the same, you know, I couldn't really compete. But I did compete against my my cousins quite a lot. How did you find school? What did you excel in? In school, um, you know, obviously everyone thinks you excel in PE because you did Olympics and whatever, but I was kind of bored of PE. That was more of just a, a mess around. But honestly, nothing really got my attention aside from history. I've always been a, a massive history fan. I've loved history ever since I was a kid. For example, like on a, when I was younger, like I'm talking like primary school, when I went to, what did they call it, home clothes day or something like that. Uh, so wear your own clothes. I used to come in and like military green with my bottle, like my hip flask because I was in the army. And um, I just loved that kind of stuff, man. Like I, that was kind of my, my thing that made me tick um, and just... I was obsessed with the history behind World War Two, World War One, and more now in ancient history. Um, and then one day, you know, I've I've always said I will go back to an, to my education eventually, whether it's Open University or whatever. You know, after my career in swimming and get my you know history degree, because um, I do think it's important. I do think education is important for not only obviously getting jobs or whatever. I don't think I'll need it for a job, and that's not being like you know cocky or arrogant. It's just something I want to do in terms of like a fulfillment. For sure. And I think if you fulfill yourself and have these markers where you say, yeah, I am, you know, kind of educated and I can prove it, you know, for me, that's, you know, something I've always wanted to do. 
So, so what you're basically indirectly saying here is that we're going to see you on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire soon. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> Nailing all the questions, but um, and also I read that you had a fear of water as a child. How did that come about? I mean, it's you know, obviously the media kind of uh, took it a little bit, <laughs> a bit too far. Um, well, for me, it was uh, kind of when we went down the park, we have to come back. Uh, being from a you know, you know, kind of a large family in a small house. You know, we always used to have to go in the shower together um, or in the bath together. And I, I absolutely hated that because obviously my brothers are taller, you know, big guys. Well, this is when we were kids anyway. So I was up and coming. But for me, it's I don't know, like it's a hard one to question, really, because obviously I'm a swimmer now and I've done the Olympics and I've won the Olympics. But for me, it was I don't know. It's kind of just scary as a kid going in water for anyone. I think it's it's the unknown, isn't it? You never yeah. yeah, I think it's out of your comfort zone, no matter what you do. It's like going on stage for the first time and talking to people. Of course, it's scary, you know, until you get used to it and, you know, you kind of find your flow. And swimming is the exact same thing. Um, you just got to get used to it, you know, be safe and then kind of push yourself to come out of your comfort zone, I guess. Yeah. So when you obviously, quote unquote, fear, you, you overcame this fear. So how did how did your swimming journey kind of start? What was kind of like the catalyst that got you into swimming and to to essentially drive towards where you are today i mean 100 percent competitive like competition 100 percent, because i always wanted to be faster i always wanted to be better um but swimming gave me that kind of channel of energy that i needed like you know it gave me something you know where i could direct my kind of anxieties direct my anger direct kind of everything every kind of energy into the pool uh so when i was training i was getting better but when i was racing as well especially on the weekend it was something to look forward to. Um, but for me, swimming was always serious from, you know, kind of 15 years, you know, 15 years onwards, um, 25 now. So competitively, I've been doing it for, what, 15 years, but I didn't really take it seriously until I was, you know, as I said, like 15, 14, 15. So I think um, if you are that kind of person who loves to win, um, and I think everyone loves to win um, in different kind of scenarios, but for me, it was kind of uh swimming's a good one because it's like you know athletics or you know something with a quantify it's like quantifiable so if you win and you've got a number next to it you know exactly what to do next time to get better or you know you've got time to get better whereas some other sports you know you're on kind of your kind of results rely on a judge or a set of judges so swimming's one of those sports where you're kind of lucky that no matter what you do it's always going to be you know an honest result if that makes sense so I just kept carried away, man. Like I've just always enjoyed improving and finding new ways to get faster. And you know it, exactly what you've touched on there. Swimming is also an an individual sport, right? Which means you take uh, you, you take the wins and the losses, the pressures, everything is kind of like all within. How did you manage that growing up? To let's say you've gone swimming, you've had you know you've had a bad day at the pool or something hasn't gone right. How did you manage to pick yourself up to then say, you know what, this is this is something I could do for a living and actually make a career out of? I guess it's a result of time. Um, if you kind of look at, you know, over 12, the last 12 months, have you enjoyed it on the whole? And have you loved, you know, the journey you're on or the journey you want to be on? And I always kind of looked up to, you know, people in sports doing well, uh, no matter what sport, um, and they're doing well at their sport and just pushing themselves. I was always better doing physical stuff than I was in the educational stuff I can never focus on an exam I can never focus put my head in the book so I just get distracted 
so I knew as a career, I was like, you know what, I've got a chance here. Um, I won, uh, I think I won my first nationals when I was 16. And then three years later, I broke the world record, which is a very, very short kind of time frame to, you know, go from that as a junior into, you know, the senior kind of uh, senior role. But I don't know. It was just, again, like, of course, as an athlete, you have bad days. It's just like any other job. You know, you have absolutely rubbish days. But for me, what mattered was overall that I was getting faster uh, and I was improving. I was giving my 110 percent. So I didn't want to waste my parents' time. I didn't want to waste their money. Didn't want to waste their energy, what they were putting into it. And then, you know, as soon as I could drive, that was me. That was pretty much my own journey with my coach and, you know, the support circle that I had around me. And that's when I started to think, well, firstly, it's when I started to get paid for what I want, for what I did. So it's kind of justifiable. Uh, but it wasn't really until 1920 when I got, you know, really good sponsors to, you know, back me all the way into the Olympics. And then as soon as you win the Olympics and, you know, you get the world record, that's when kind of all of that painstakingly hard work for free because <laughs> it is for free it's a huge gamble um you know that's when it all pays off so I just love again just love getting faster and I'm, I, it's kind of got carried away because I was going to counties and I was like you know what I'm going to win counties go to regionals win regionals go to nationals win nationals and then you know by next thing you know you're Olympic champion with a world record so you just someone who's got big aspiration you just look at the next big thing to target I guess and then go for it yeah, and I love that you spoke about risk there. And I really want to kind of speak about that a little bit more. As you said rightly, is when you start, you're taking a massive gamble. You're not getting paid. And there is no guarantee that you are actually going to get to the place and the destination you want to be. So again, what's the what keeps you going knowing that there is no guarantee at the end, apart from you just putting in as much hard work as possible, you know, and, and getting the kind of catching the breaks you need to get to, to you know, to... Olympic champion breaking world records. I think risk is probably one of the most important things because when it pays off, it's like, you know, one of the best feelings ever. But when it doesn't pay off, you've got to learn to almost cushion yourself from that blowback and think, you know what, I'm going to learn from this and do it better next time. Um, but for me, I, you know, my main event's 100 breaststrokes. So you've only got two lengths. Uh, so you can go out for it and absolutely pray to God that, you know, you've got enough energy and enough endurance to, you know, come back. Or you can be sensible but obviously with the risks that, that you've got to come back faster than, you know, if you didn't do that. So I don't know, risk is a, is a hard one to kind of thingy, but you know, you, I have always said that you work, you work your ass off basically to make sure that you can play any scenario and you visualize any scenario kind of, you know, happening. And it's what they do in the armed forces, the, you know, practice a lot or train a lot, you know, for pretty much every scenario. Um, and I've got a lot of kind of knowledge and I'm not a lot of wisdom from that thinking, you know what, if I've got to go out here, I've got to go out faster. I've got to improve my dive. I'm going to spend a year working on my dive or the first 15 meters or the first 50. And then if I, I know in my head at 50, I know in my in my bones that no one's going to catch me. I just know that because of the amount of work that I put in on that back half, that's my bread and butter. The the last half of the race, no one overtakes me. Um, and that's the confidence you've got to have in yourself. If you go, oh, you know what, he's, he's over there and he, he might overtake me. You've got to be extremely aggressive. Um, and you know, for me, that works perfectly because I'm an aggressive person when it's channeled right uh, in the right areas. So Olympic final, I can make sure that aggression comes out of me, and it's it's more of a tool than a something that's going to hold me back and distract me. Yeah. So obviously, 2014 is when you cement your position. You know, at the top of the sport, you know, people are paying attention. Right, Adam Peters on the scene, he's making noise. 
um, Commonwealth Games, Glasgow, the European Championships, obviously Berlin is where you break the 50-meter world record. Yeah. Talk me through your prep in terms of what goes through your head when, you know, you're at the start of the race. Like, how do you channel your mind to then go out and produce these insane performances? Is there there rituals? Is there like a preparation method? Obviously, I know it's the work that goes on, you know, with your coach beforehand, but what's kind of like the the process? It's a combination. I've always said, you know, for an elite top tier performance, there's literally a thousand variables, but you don't get distracted by the variables. You just know what to do. And obviously, you come down to the day the day of the race, when it's a final, you only get one shot at it. Especially Olympics, you can, well, now it's going to be five years. So you'd be waiting five years for one race, pretty much. So you've got to make sure your preparation is spot on and no stone is unturned, as, as the saying goes. So for me, it was pretty much showing up on the day. I'll work two hours backwards and I'll, you know, make sure my body's right. If there's any niggles, get them out. In my head, that is the most important thing. You know, I've always said that the mind is the athlete. The body is simply the means. So, you know, for me, this is the driver. This is the, you know, the, the thing that processes everything, processes everything, the anxieties, the cortisol, the stress, the, you know, or the adrenaline or the anger, the pain, you know, and the sweat and the tears. So I think a lot more athletes need to start using their head and start to train themselves and get kind of get to know themselves. We all think we know ourselves a lot and the best we ever do. And like if you, you know, question yourself now and go, do I know myself? At least, you know, 1% of you going, no, I don't really know what I do in that situation or 10% of you. So you've really got to work on that side of you. Okay, what if this goes wrong or that happens? Or especially as an athlete, if they go out faster, how am I going to respond? And it's got to be a millisecond just like that. And you've got to respond. So for me, the preparation is day in, day out. It's the mind training. It's the the physical training. Um, And I've always said there's free energy systems and keep it very simple. Um, And there's so many books and so much research out there. But for me, you've got your your physical energy, your mental energy, and your spiritual energy, and that's it. Um, and for me, I'm, a, I'm if I'm fulfilled in all of them, no one's stopping me. Um, I'm gonna go out my pretty much go out there and you know smash it up as as they say. So I think that your spiritual energy really, really, and I'm not trying to sound like I'm some kind of Zen kind of I don't know just overly Zen person, but I really think that if you've got your inspiration, you've got your motivation, and you feel fulfilled and your purpose is truly worthy, that is your spiritual energy. And and sometimes that gets tired, you know. When you go to Olympics and you're racing for nine days, you'll feel that, you know, kind of go like this a little bit or, you know, you've got to control it because you get too excited. And so such as your, your, your mental energy and your physical energy, you've got to take care of these energy systems to make sure you get to that Olympic final or back in 2014 on that 50-meter breaststroke where I got the first world record, making sure that, you know, you're going to hit everything spot on. And there will be a few mistakes, but, you know, hopefully you've trained hard enough and you, you, you kind of above and beyond that you're going to hit the world record anyway. So there is, there is a certain amount of redundancy that you've got to cater for as well. What's the training process like running up to competitions? Like, give me, give me an example of like what your week looks like, how many hours you spend in the pool, you know, that sort of thing. So on a normal week, we would train 10 sessions, two hours. Uh, of swim so 20 hours a week roughly and then we'll do about three heavy lifting sessions which are around an hour and a half three times a week um and they're really really hard especially for me because i need my power and my strength and i love the gym i love the atmosphere i love going you know extremely hard in the gym 
Um, and then you've got one or two sessions with circuits um, added onto that. So you're looking at pretty much, what, 15 sessions in total. Then you've got your physio, your rehab, your prehab, um, and all your shoulder stuff and all your hip stuff. So it's a, literally a full-time job. And then you've got all your admin on top of that, your sponsorship commitments. You know the score. It's uh, you know it soon adds up. So yeah, I mean that's that's the full on kind of training cycle. But then when you come down to a competition, you'd only do say seven sessions a week at one and a half hours or an hour. Uh, so instead of hitting fifty kilometers a week in the pool, you'd hit I don't know if if you're a week out from the Olympics, you'd probably hit twenty or twenty five kilometers. So you pretty much half your load. And then in the gym, you pretty much don't really do anything. It's really making sure those muscles are fully extended and fully uh, available to go and recovered uh, and that's an art in itself you know you've got to know yourself again you've got to know yourself so well to think oh I need to do that or I need to go harder today to prime my body for tomorrow so it's literally it, people think being an athlete is you know simple you go out there and you go race and you go win but it's not you know it's not the fairy tale you know you get out of bed and you're so talented and you're so thingy that it just happens for you you know it's not it's not a, it's not that story there's a lot of sweat and there's a lot of blood and there's a lot well not too much blood in this sport but you know there's a, there's a lot of tears as well along the way because if you don't get that performance that you've invested in especially olympics when it's as i said like every four years and this is why you know mental health in especially in sport is so important because we've got to also we've got to obviously look for the sky and we've got to reach the sky but we've also got to make sure that we don't crash and burn on the way down if it doesn't go right. And, um, you know, obviously 2016 Rio, you go, you win an Olympic gold. Like, I assume just from, for most athletes, you know, Olympic gold is like the pinnacle, really. That's what essentially you dream of as a kid to achieve. What was that moment like for you and your family? For me, it was as soon as I got on the lame rope and I touched, I think it was an extreme amount of energy, which was almost a relief the the gamble had worked <laughs> the risk had worked and it was just i don't know there was something it's, it's not tangible like you can't there's not a word for it because there's so many emotions and so many feelings going into that moment knowing that you've secured that you know it's it's a moment in history which you know you'll always remember and the world will hopefully remember and it was the first olympic medal for i think the first gold medal and first medal maybe for uh team gb in south america ever so for me again there were so many kind of accolades that came along with that swim um but it kind of got team gb rolling and as soon after that we we kind of churned out the medals so yeah i mean i just love i love racing man i just love it <laughs> yeah but it shows that that is you know it's, it's a passion of yours you're not swimming because you're like oh it's a, it's a decent career i can make some money you genuinely love swimming first and then everything else is almost as you said is a bonus on top of course, yeah and also then obviously you've gone on to um to receive the mbe in 2017 um that also must have been a huge honor what was the, what was the experience like of um going to to buckingham palace and you know meeting the royal family and the rest of it oh amazing yeah i mean for me i've always wanted uh kind of an mbe I don't know why. I think it was just, you know, I'm proud, obviously. I love, you know, this country. And I think it's just, yeah, one of those accolades that many people don't have. But it's also something you can't race to win, I think. <laughs> um, so for me, I, if I can't get it, I just race people and, you know, hopefully win. But an MBE is something that you can't do that with. So, you know, for me to be recognised in the sport and out of the sport as well is just as important. But, you know, obviously I have a lot of passion for what I do. I love racing, as I said. I love um, I love my sport. And I love other sports. I love watching other sports. So I think, you know, you race 
because you love it and it's your passion and it's your identity, but also the bonuses that come on top. It's like any other career. I'm sure you love what you do, but you know, you've at the end of the day, you got to pay the bills and hopefully have a you know a little bit of money for you know retirement and you know the good things and the sweet things in life that we all want. So for me, you know, that's that's the most important that I can you know do what I love and I have a huge amount of passion for, but also you know buy the things I want because you know for me, you know that that makes it all worth it. I guess. Now, hundred percent. That's always been my motto as well. Like if you work hard in life and you achieve things, you are definitely entitled, you know, to go out and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Because when you're suffering in the gym, like you said, the weight sessions, all the, the hours in the pool that no one else gets to see apart from you and your coach, you know, so when you come out the other side, it's, it's just desserts that you get to, you know, as you said, get to enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about the the challenges a bit now. You continue to go, obviously, strength to strength. 2018 is when you took your first loss in basically four years. Talk me through that moment where you've been at the top of your sport. You've got all these accolades, Olympic gold, you're breaking world records. You're it, Essentially, you're untouchable at this point. And then you take your first loss. What happens then? I think... Um... You know, there's that cliche kind of saying that, you know, losing is just as important as winning. And, you know, I do like that saying, but I do think it's very cliche. I think not you don't necessarily have to lose to win and have success. But I think it's so important that no matter what walk of life you're in, that you do have those moments of kind of reality. And you have those moments that hit you like a ton of bricks because it makes everything kind of relatable and it puts everything into perspective. Um, because if you go from high to high to high to high to high, one is it only, I, th- I think it's extremely bad for your kind of motivation. And I don't know, just, just something wrong in that, you know, I, I don't, can't really put my finger on it, but I think as a human and as an athlete as well, but I think we get so much out of experience in a loss and experiencing, you know, a setback because it makes us come back stronger and hopefully it, you will have enough motivation and inspiration to go, bloody hell, I'm not, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. Um, and that's exactly what happened. You know, three months later, literally 12 weeks later, I broke the world record again. Uh, from So I come from a loss to a win in, within 12 weeks. And it's really how you adjust your mindset for that. Um, and, you know, look at the things that are going well. Look at the things that are going wrong. Because if you go from success to success for years and years and years, there could be something creeping in. But you just don't notice it because you're so involved in yourself and so involved in the goal. And that is a good thing, but it's also an extremely worrying thing because if it if it's something that creeps in, especially in a corporation, and you don't recognise it, you know it, it's, it's steadily going to become you know a bigger thing, uh, and it'll get out of control before you can handle it. And it's exactly like sport. If you look, you know, if you go from sex to sex all the way up, and you don't look at you know who's coming up, uh, who's coming up through the ranks, who looks good, who I'm going to be racing, you know, you know that problem could be a real big problem if you don't train and work harder than them uh, because by the time you get to olympics it's way too late to respond you know you've got to respond eight months earlier because uh, that's when all the work is done so you know it, it, i think anything we do in sport is so relatable uh, but i think the key message there is you know losing is important and it, it makes us all feel human again yeah and you know what it's interesting you said that because i listened to something this morning actually which said we're all self-made but only the successful acknowledge it. And it hit me and I thought, that's such an interesting perspective because it's true, right? When you're up 
every, uh, we all embrace, as you said, everyone wants to win. You embrace the success. But when things don't go your way, a lot of people aren't very good at owning that. And I think in your case, from what you've just said, it, it seems like, you know, for you to take 12 weeks to then go back and break a world record, it shows that you had the the capacity to self-assess and go, you know what? Something has gone wrong. I don't know what's going on here. Let me get back in the lab. Let me get back to what I know. And then 12 weeks later, you come back and you break a world record. So talk to me a little bit about how, you know, I read something that said, obviously, that's, you know, after the loss, it was kind of one of your your deepest low points in your life. So talk to me about what you went through and how you kind of got yourself out of that uh, mental state. I think, firstly, um, so when you do lose, I think it's extremely, as you said, it's extremely easy to point the fingers and go, it's your fault, it's your fault, and make everyone else responsible for that action or, you know, that thing that happened. So when I came from a loss in Commonwealths, you know, for me, I've I've always had a kind of huge pride of what I do anyway. But for me, you've got to have that pride when you win, but also have that pride when you lose and point the fingers at yourself because you're the one who's racing. You're the one who's responsible for that result and you're the athlete, you know. Why would I point the fingers at my coach or point the fingers at, you know, someone else in the in the team because they're not racing? Um, I knew exactly what I did wrong as soon as I touched the wall. So for me, I, I think it's so important that you become kind of uh, responsible for your own actions and responsible for your losses. And for me, I've always, always done that. I've from, Even from a kid, I think, even from a loss, I've gone, you know what, that's annoying me. Uh, I'm going to make a note. I've got on my phone here, got you know, hundreds of notes of things that have gone right and the things that have gone wrong. Um, and I think it's really important to self-reflect and always point the fingers back in and go, how can I improve? So next time, you know, I win. Um, whether that's a, a thing that you can measure or is it a feeling or, you know, something else, you know, that's down to you. But I think, you know, you never, ever point the fingers at someone else for, you know, for your failure, if that makes sense, because you're entirely reliable to keep those people in check or to keep your performance in check. And I think that along with that comes a lot of responsibility, but also a lot of freedom. You, I can go to the Olympics going, you know what, if anything goes wrong here, you know, it's entirely on me, but that's a good thing because if it's, if I'm on my own back and it's, everything's on my own back, there's nowhere to hide and there's nowhere to run. Uh, so I'm going to give my absolute best and I know exactly what I've done or I needed to do for the last four years. And yeah, that with that, I think comes a lot of freedom instead of relying on people or relying on what they're doing in their spare time to, you know, help improve you as well. Yeah. And you know, what? one thing I respect a lot about you actually is from just doing the research, even just preparing for this podcast is you've been very, even in the media, you've been very honest about your pitfalls as well as you have been about your successes. You know, one of the things you mentioned was, you know, when you had a short period of just like going out partying, drinking, because you were in that space and you thought, you know, that's that could help you get through that period. And then obviously you come out the other side and you go in again to break more world records and have even more success. So it's just, you know, I, I really want to get more out of you in regards to the importance, as you said, about mental health and the mental fortitude to be able to go through these challenges, but still come out and perform at such a high level. What are some of the tools you've used along the way, you know, to, to help you maintain? Because, uh, you know, for me, I always say excellence is being able to do something at a high level for a long period of time. You've had 10, 15 years, as you've said, you know, you've been at the top of the sport. And uh, I mean, when I read your the accolades you have, 
I could have been there for a week reading <laughs> the amount of awards and, and recognition you've got. So it, I, I just want to gain a bit more of an understanding of like the mental side, how you, how you've managed to sustain and just to keep raising the bar every year that goes by, you seem to just keep getting better and better and better. I really think it's um, as simple as it sounds. It's about balance. Um, and when you talk about mental health, I think, again, that is balance. Um, for me, I know it's important to go out and ha- you know have a laugh with my mates because for nine, ten months of the year, I'm in my training camp. I'm in my training zone. I'm with my family. I'm at home. I don't really go out at all. I go out to shop. I go out to eat. I go out to you know drive or go for a walk. That's about it. And everything else is recovery uh, back home. So I, when it comes down to that, I think once you finish the World Championships, you've got the world record. There's a, a massive amount of energy that goes bloody out. Just get down a pub. Just enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? So, And obviously that can get out of control. And we all know alcohol is pretty much a depressant. So and the next day we all feel horrendous anyway. And if you cycle that every week or three times a week, you know, it's going to catch up. It's like anything. If you work hard three, you know, three times a week or if you work hard all the time of the week, you know, you're going to end up getting faster and stronger and powerful. But if you flip it on the other side and you're, you know, going out to the pub every, you know, what, three times a week, you're going to kind of expend that energy that was meant for something else. So for me, yeah, I mean, of course, I mean, you know, I'm 25. Of course, I've had, you know, plenty of down pit, uh, downfalls and pitfalls and whatever. But it's really having, you know, this uh, kind of, one, the courage to, you know, speak to people. So for me, my best mate and my business partner, but also having making sure it doesn't happen in the first place. So kind of checking in with yourself. It doesn't have to be every day, every few days, going take three deep breaths as I do outside and go, how am I feeling? Um, and it's simple as that. And if I'm a little bit anxious or something's on my mind, I'm like, is there anything I can do about it? If it's not, you know, it, it's completely gone. So I've completely wrote that off. If there is something I can do about it, kind of do it now um, or kind of do it in a few days and I'll write it in my diary and I'll get it done. So for me, you know, as well as that, you know, when you're going to Olympics and you're winning and all the eyes are on you, because I do like, you know, going to, as an athlete, obviously I like people watching and I love being you know, on the TV and all that kind of stuff. But when you're taken away from that, of course, there's a massive pitfall in that. There's, it's not normal, you know, our brains aren't meant to deal with that kind of exposure, then nothingness, if that makes sense. Um, our brains haven't had time to adapt to this new world of social media, TV, being an athlete, et cetera, et cetera, and media. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 2018 through to 2019, I was like, Phew. I think there was some moment, well, there was some moments in in my kind of life where things I really look forward to, like just the little things like going for a walk with my family or, you know, go on the Xbox with the lads or, you know, I love my gaming PC or, you know, do, drive my cars. For me, I was like, I, I watch like a Lamborghini go past and I'm always like, yeah, I want one M one day or, you know, et cetera. You know, you, you know, you know how you do that. You're like, bloody hell, it makes you want success. But in this moment, I was like, oh, there's, there's no point in that. Like it, it was almost like a, it was a deeper negative uh, state. Whereas like, oh, it just didn't kind of give yourself gratification, if that made sense, for more success. It did the complete opposite. And that they were my warning signs. I was like, I've got to do something about this. And, fat, you know, after Korea, South Korea, uh, winning in South Korea, I did have opportunity to take about a month off and just really think about, you know, what's important, what's not, how do I make sure this doesn't happen again? And, you know, obviously open up to your friends and your close circle. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, of course, uh, especially with quarantine and COVID coming along now, it's more important than ever that people, you know, find that courage or find the support circle to you know, talk because I really do believe the matter if it's in a relationship or your friends or whatever, or your coach uh, or in British women or your management, I think communication is so important. And I think we've got to be more understanding and more kind of honest with each other. We always kind of say, oh yeah, I'm good, I'm good. But are you actually good? You know, we don't take the time to actually say, are you actually good? Um, because it's seen as a waste of time or, you know, everyone's in a rush these days. So I think, especially as young people, we've got to, you know, ask people, are we actually okay? And stop trying to hide the fact that, you know, you don't have to be okay 110% of the time. I'm not, you know, probably half the time I'm, you know, wet, I wanted to go, but 25% of the time I'm on a pretty much rave. And then the rest of the time I'm like, oh, just absolutely battered. So, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's all about balance and you've got you to find your own balance to, you know, uh, hopefully avoid those situations. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think when you look at some of the greatest athletes of all time, one thing they've all had in common is they have great people around them. As you said about having that support network and, and a team around you, is actually the team then allows you to be able to lean on, you know, people when things aren't going right, celebrate when things are going right, and, and rightly so about balance. One thing I wanted to ask you as well was about uh, arrivals. You know, when you compete, in obviously in, in in swimming do you do you study the competition or is your is your approach solely right i'm focused on me i know because as you said about with swimming you've got the times right you know your time's 5703 you're like okay right i need to shave you know two three seconds off that or whatever how's your how's your approach with the competition is it my focus is adam and the times or do you also look to your left and right every so often i think you gotta you've gotta look obviously around you know it's being in a sport where it requires well again it came back to the first point you've got a number on the board and you've got places so you've gotta really think you know and you do hear it on the grapevine anyway even if, if you're not looking for it or oh, they've done this time what does it mean or oh, they've done this time or oh, they beat me here in a meet that doesn't really matter etc cetera, etc cetera. so you've got to have one eye open at all times uh, as the saying goes but Really, you got to learn to close that eye because whatever they do does not impact you in the slightest. Because for me, if I'm wasting 10% of energy looking at the other guy and what they're doing, it's 10% of energy that could have been invested in myself. And it's good because sometimes it's good for competition and it's good to make you work harder. And especially in the corporate world or, you know, especially in, you know being an athlete, you have got to look across and go, what are they doing? They might be doing it better. So you take a little bit of a note but don't be obsessed by them. Uh, and that's the difference that, uh, you know, just, and people do this with me. People look at what I do or look what I eat or how I sleep or, you know, what's my routine or what's my training like. And they go, I'm going to copy exactly that. But we're all different. You know, what I, what, they, what I do on a daily basis will not give them gratification or the, the right training effect for them to be successful. So, yeah, again, it comes down to making sure that you're not getting distracted and carried away with looking at someone else, even if, they are faster or slower because it, at the end of the day, it's all about tunnel vision. You know, learn to give yourself um, the best possible chance instead of giving them, you know, a, a kind of a heads up or a head start. Who was your athlete you looked up to growing up? Was it uh, someone in swimming or did you kind of have a, another sport? What's the one athlete you thought, wow, if there was anyone I'd love to emulate, it's that guy or that woman? 
I think obviously being in a, in a sport with you know, great Olympians, um, we're quite lucky. So like obviously you got Phelps. Uh, I think every swimmer would say Phelps, but for me, you know what he did, especially in that era, was just you know incredible. Like I don't even know how many Olympic golds he's got. It's ridiculous. But the uh, take it away from my own sport, it'd be like Muhammad Ali. I think what he did for the sport in terms of growing the sport and growing the base of fans and almost predicting his rounds. And he was just, you know, that top tier athlete, but he had the charisma and the the kind of personality to match that and back it up. Um, I think it is important that, you know, we do have our, we have our own character. And we, we are our own people. We're not just a robot speaking into the camera. Um, so if you look at the Muhammad Ali, he was just, you know, incredible when the camera was put in front of him because it was all a game and it was all a show. Um, especially when it was coming up to his big, one of his big fights. So yeah, you know, I've always loved boxing. Not so much these days because I don't really have time. And, you know, if they fought in Vegas, <laughs> I ain't waiting up till 4 a.m. No way. But, you know, I've always, you know, kind of loved that kind of aggression and the kind of mind games that go into a, a fight. Now, for sure. You've welcomed your first fan, George, in September. Congrats on that. I mean, I remember speaking to you just, a, you know, a little while before about that. So, yeah. How's fatherhood been? How are you adjusting? Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah. He's, um, yeah, I mean, he's grown quick. He's three months old and he's nearly outfitting his six months clothes. So that's great. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just like whether you have a good day or you have a bad day, you know, you come back and they still smile at you and still, you know, laugh when you tackle them and stuff. So I think it's just given me a, a new layer of just happiness and motivation. Uh, obviously, you want to you know, do better and, you know, be better and think forward more. Uh, so for me, you know, I've been looking at houses for like four or five years, but I've never found one that I you know, really, really want until now. So it's kind of perfect timing for us. So we're going to start to hopefully make our next chapter now in that life. Um, but yeah, for me, it's I just yeah, I mean, it's just an overwhelming love, right? It's just something unconditional, sorry, unconditional love that, you know, one day, hopefully when, they're, you know, getting to speak and, you know, walk and stuff like that, you look forward like the other day. He, he he rolled over for the first time. And it's like, oh my god, it's like such a <laughs> such a good feeling. But for me, it's uh, you know when he's you know older, you want to you know teach him about the world. You want to give them wisdom, and you want to make sure that they they can be the unlocked and you know unlocked version of themselves, which is unlimited, uh, and really tell them that anything is possible, and give them the wisdom to take a downfall, take a loss now and then, but you know have enough pride encouraging yourself to get back up and keep fighting will you will you encourage him to go into swimming no absolutely not absolutely not (laughs) everyone says that everyone says that but i'm like he ain't going to be as fast as me so it's just going to be a complete uh it's going to be a complete i love that you're like he's my son but he won't be fast yeah yeah but he's uh you know i obviously want him to do anything he wants to do he's going to be one of those kids who probably does a thousand sports until he's 14 and then he chooses what sport he wants to do but I've said either get him in boxing or get him in golf uh, or tennis. <laughs> um, you know, not that those sports are easy, but for me, I've already done my stint in swimming. Um, I don't want to do it again. Now I hear you. And to be fair, I've just picked up golf recently. It's quite, golf is therapy. I'm not, I'm not very good, but it's an enjoyable sport to play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to start. I need to start that. Now, yeah, it's a good one. Also, you've just returned obviously from Budapest for the second season for the ISL and you broke another world record again. I mean, I think what's that from my research, that's your 13th world record. 
if I'm not mistaken. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so how did it feel competing? Obviously, the world's in a different place with COVID and everything. You've still had to prepare and still still go there and compete. And again, you've exceeded expectation by breaking another world record. How have you managed training in this period and competing still, even with the world basically upside down? I mean, I had a pool, an endless pool, by jacuzzi in my house. Um so that was obviously a massive help. Uh, so it's grateful that you have good sponsors and you know people who support you and stuff. But for me, it was it was more about the mental game that I knew I wasn't going to be competing in the short term. But I knew in the long term, I had to get myself in a condition where I could race the best in the world and if not, you know, target the world record. So yeah, I mean, going there, short course, you know, if you don't know swimming, it's, they have short course, which is 25 meter pool. So, you know, you're a local ledge centre, really. And then you have Olympic size, which is 50 metre. I'm much better on a 50 metre because on a bigger guy, the stroke is un- un- it's not interrupted. Uh, so, yeah, the momentum is, you know, continuous. Whereas a lot of people are better on short course because you don't have to have much as much fitness to get away with, you know, winning you know, a medal. So, it's a completely different sport, really. So, I had that on my back as well. But, you know, when you go COVID, when you got COVID, it's just hard because especially with our lockdown, it was ridiculously long and it's still going on, you know, somehow now, but uh, it's just, you know, we didn't get back in the water till I think it was June, mid June or start of June. And we were out of the water from like pretty much the first lockdown. I think it was March or something like that. So we're out of the water for a long time. Um, But really I think it did us good. I think athletes need to have that forced rest uh, and recover mentally and do a little bit different as, you know, cycling, like 100 kilometers now and then and whatever, and then lifting weights in my garage. And it's just kind of a little bit different of a stimulus. Uh, I'm sure people working from home, I'm not sure if you love it now, but, you know, at the start, it's like, oh, this is different. I quite like this. Uh, but, you know, as, you know, as the world goes on, as it always will, it'll always, you know, kind of, you know, pick itself up and get carry on. You know, you've got to look at, you know, different stimuluses. Is this good for me every now and then to switch up how I work? And I think for me, I've took a massive thing from this. Like, do we need to train 11 months of the year? Or can we train four months and have a break, four months, have a break, four months, have a break? Um, Because, you know, there's so many ways to approach training and approach success. So, you know, their book is pretty much can't be written by one person because everyone's different. No, for sure. So will we, will we see a book from you at some point, surely? Yeah, yeah, yes. Hopefully, yeah. You've got quite an interesting story to tell. So I think a book from you would be good. Yeah, it's in the, it's in the, it's in the plans. <laughs> Perfect. Tell me, what's next for you? What is next? In terms of swimming, like what's left for you to achieve? Because at the moment, I feel like, you know, just reading your resume, you're 25 years old and you've eclipsed, you know, in terms of this country, you'll probably the the greatest swimmer we've had in terms of records, accolades, everything you've achieved at such a young age. So, yeah. I see our sport as a, you know, I see myself as a, I don't know, I always see it as like a how you run a company. You know, just because you've had one good year or an outstanding year doesn't mean you can't have it again. Um, And obviously it gets harder each year to keep breaking those world records. Of course it does. But there's also so many more opportunities and, you know, so many more people willing to help you as you're, you know, you get, you know, more kind of more of a profile and, you know, as you get faster. But what's next? It's just a continuous grind, I guess, for me now at the moment. I'm going to enjoy Christmas, take a time to breathe, have a bit of wine. I love my wine. Um, And then it's pretty much a home run from January to August to the Olympics, um, which is extremely, extremely hard. 
mentally and physically and spiritually. But for me, yeah, I mean, I'm going to try and catch some sun, hopefully in Dubai in January. Uh, but that'll be a sole training camp. Um, so we're literally there to train, not to, you know, sip pina coladas. So for me, it's uh, just doing that, you know, pretty much, you know, it's, we call it heat training. Uh, it's almost like when you go to altitude, your body has to work harder under the heat, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you get fitter, easier and whatever. But uh, that's important for us just to get away from this rubbish weather uh, outside. And then really, mate, it's just just finding a competition, really, <laughs> before Olympics, uh, finding a few competitions. And hopefully COVID with this vaccine, you know, coming out and being released, things will start to settle down by, you know, hopefully April. But again, we said this last time, didn't we? We said this last year, it'll only be for a few months, but you know, we're in December now and it's getting worse. So. And I, I always see our situation as almost a blessed one because, you know, for me, I'm doing what I do and I'm getting paid to do it. But, you know, if you look at in the NHS and people are working extremely hard day to day, we are very blessed. And, uh, you know, it's it's people like that which you know, deserve all the, all the praise, especially now. Looking forward to see, and I'm sure you'll, I'm sure the Olympics, when it comes around, you'll, you know, you'll do the business as always, waiting for another, another world record to be broken, I'm sure. <laughs> so yeah, and I wish you all the best with that. And um, so the closing question for the podcast, as you know, the, the title of the podcast is, can I get a picture? So the closing question is, who's the one person that inspires you that you'd love to have your picture taken with and why? Oh God, uh, that is a hard one. Uh... Can they be dead or alive? Yeah, dead or alive, it, it doesn't matter. You can pick both. Picture it. It'd, be, it'd have to be someone that no one's had a picture with, because that's the maximum clout, isn't it? <laughs> so it'd be like... Be like, like I like your uh, thinking. I like uh, your thinking. It'd be Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, 100%. Okay. One of the best generals and leaders in the world. No, fair enough. I like that, because it's true. It, it'd be in some kind of... It'd be in some, like, armoured kilt, <laughs> and I'd just be in there in my tracking. <laughs> Thanks again to Adam for taking the time to chat with me and thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Can I Get a Picture Pod and we'll be back again with another episode. 